think about going to church somewhere, and we know that that Rory goes over there, and so we know somebody, so let's go over there where Rory and Sue are at, you know, or whatever. And so I think it's a great testimony and, and gets the word out. Or they might be like, well, we know where Rory goes, and we don't want to go there. <laughs> it, could be a, it could be a bad thing, too. But <laughs> uh, Anyway, all right. Well, Galatians chapter 5. You guys should feel fortunate. Last week I had this message all ready to go. If you recall, I only preached one verse last week. Do you remember that? <clears throat> so now we're going to preach the next five verses that were with that one message. And so uh, you might get out early two weeks in a row, <clears throat> but don't hold your breath. I always, I always want you to, you know you guys pay me. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, <clears throat> but... It's, uh, there is no association. It doesn't go in some big pool and then it comes back. <clears throat> Salary is based on your vote and what you do and you choose to pay me. And, and I, I still get giddy about that, <clears throat> thinking that you pay me to study the Bible. I, I just, I, it's a great thing. I mean, I have the greatest, if you want to call it a job, I have the greatest job in the world. And yeah, there are a lot of burdens and a lot of things that, you know, I'm, I'm 26, don't I look it? Uh, huh? And so, but uh, 62 would be closer. I heard that. <clears throat> so, but uh, you know, I always want. I, I do want when when you come in here, uh, we want to worship God, and and we want to give Him the honor and the glory for who He is. But I also want to give you your money's worth on uh, what the Word of God has to say. And so, it's not that I like. I'm I'm not a what is that, a masochist, you know, that likes to just put people in pain and torture? But uh, I like to keep you long enough to where you feel like I, you got something for your money, you know? And so it's kind of like movies. I like those movies that are three hours long. If I'm going to go and pay eight bucks to go sit in one, I want to sit there long enough where I'm tired when I get out of there, you know? So anyway, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's moving on here. It's all falling apart, <clears throat> but Galatians chapter 5, we are looking at uh, a declaration of freedom through this entire book. And, and I, I, I've, something always sits in the back of my mind. I, I remember years ago when I was new in the ministry here, and I can't believe that in a, just a couple of months it's going to be 22 years uh, pastor here. But years ago on, on 1010 on Sunday afternoon, there was a a man that would get on and, and do a Bible study, and, and so I was kind of interested, so I started listening to it, but uh, this always lies in the back of my mind, and I think, and I hope that today's message can help with this very situation, but he was going through the, the uh, book of Galatians, and this has probably been 20 years ago now, and he used this very book and tried to prove salvation by works. And I, I, I don't know, it just always lays in the back of my mind listening to, to some of the things that, that he was saying back then. And I, I just, you, you have to completely take everything out of a context of, of what Paul was teaching in, in the book of Galatians. And it, I, I hope that this, this passage today can help all of us in, in just a little bit be able to fathom what God has done 
when he saves us. When we, by faith, call on him, trusting in what he has done to save us and to promise, promise us eternal life, that we cannot cheapen that by thinking that we have anything to give him to merit that. <clears throat> and so I pray that this can be a help today as we look at this, because when we get to that point and, and we, by faith, call upon Christ, and the nice thing is, is that our faith, when we come to that point and we place our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, he promises us that he keeps you and, and that, that you are forever written down in the Lamb's book of life and have eternal life. And, and praise the Lord for that. And it's hard to, to realize that kind of love with what we see represented in our world. And, and we want to, to compare with our own experiences and, and, and try to make God, in, in our own understanding, by, based upon our own experiences, then, then that's how we sometimes try to define God. Well, well God's, God's love is truly undefined in, in the aspect of, of the depth of it. And to understand that Christ loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I mean, we, we were not showing him any love at all. And he still went to the cross and died for us. Those very people that treated him unjustly on that day, beat him, whipped him, cursed him, nailed him to a cross, and hung him up there to die a horrible, horrific death, he died for them because he loved them. It, it, the, one of my favorite songs and, uh, it is the deep, deep love of Jesus. And uh, to, to understand, and I don't, I don't believe that we will ever truly understand the entire depth of God's love until we walk into eternity. But, but what a joy it is to know that I'm loved in spite of me, in spite of who I am, in spite of the things that I do, in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my insecurities, in spite of my inadequacies, in spite of the dumb choices that I make, in spite of my sin, I'm still loved by him. And so I, I pray that everyone here knows that, 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 that you know that, first of all, that God loves you and that he loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you and that whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. And so, and if you haven't, I pray that today you call upon him, trusting him wholly, humbly with your heart, and you trust in him and he'll give you eternal life. And get out of the struggle uh, of, of thinking that you have to do, do, do in, in order to achieve your way to heaven. It'll never work. It never happens. And so, that's what I want us to see today. Remember, he already told us the two commands in chapter 5 in verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And second command, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And, and here he's saying stop being entangled in the yoke of bondage. There were some of these that, that were believers that were 
that, that were falling prey to this idea and, and making this list of things that they ought to do. There were those that were infiltrating into this church that had never trusted Christ and were, were teaching that you had to do all of these works in order to be saved. And, and look, the thing that you're going to see also today is that faith and works, and, and by this definition, faith, salvation by faith, salvation by works, are totally uncom- uh, they, 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 they incompatible, all right? There is no way that they can, you can't have both. It never works. You either have one or the other, and, and there is no way that you can ever make them mesh. It's like oil and water. You can stir it all you want, and the oil is still going to be different than the water. It's always going to be different. And, and so you, you cannot have both. And so we're, we're going to see that. And so here, stop being entangled in this yoke of bondage. But rather, now he goes on, and we see the, uh, uh, in this Paul's declaration against this work salvation. And, and he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you. Now, I, I know you can't see this, but, but in the, the Greek, we see that Paul is very emphatic in what he is saying here. He, he's using the emphatic pronouns, and, and in the way that he's stating this, He is making this a point that you need to understand and hear and know what it is that I'm telling you at this moment in time. He's very emphatic in what he wants you to know and understand. And and here, reminding them that, look, I'm Paul. I'm telling you these things for a reason. And and look, we've already seen this before in and they've trashed his character, and they've slandered him along the way. Well, that's not the first time. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. Now, it, this is a slam towards those that were in the, the church at Corinth. They were telling him, Look, Paul, you don't need to be listening to this guy. Because Paul, when he comes to you and he looks you in the face, he's not going to be very brave at all. And as a matter of fact, when he comes to you and sees you in person, he lies to you about things that he's doing. But then when he writes you a letter because he can't be here in person, then he's very bold in what he's writing. I mean, Paul had been slandered his entire ministry, and Paul just kept telling them the truth. And, and, and here he's reminding them that, hey, the slander doesn't matter. I'm still going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to let you know what, what God's Word has to say. And this is the very Paul, too. He wants to remind them that uh, what he said in Philippians, remember, these are the Judaizers that have come in and, and take great pride in, in following all of the laws and how you need to, to live this legalistic way in order to please God and make God happy. Well, this is what Paul wrote to the Philippians who, who, who were using the same kind of idea and trashing Paul and maybe slandering him along the way. And this is what he said in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So now he's saying, look, if we can truly trust in the flesh to please God and that doing the, the Judaistic laws, the Mosaic laws, if someone can do that and truly be pleasing to God, there isn't anyone that's any more qualified than I am. That's what Paul was saying. And here he goes on, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, 
as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, well, look, if you want to say that I, if someone is zealous, well, I was very zealous, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I was doing everything that I could and lived blamelessly uh, according to the law, that the Mosaic law, and I was killing those that, that were calling them uh, followers and believers of Christ. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. You see, that's the problem with human nature. If we think that we're going to do these things in, in order to please God, then we start putting people on a hierarchy and, and we start thinking, well, this guy's much better than me because he's able to do more and more and, and, and live according to the law much better than I am. And, and so then there's the, the judgmentalism that comes with that. And, well, I'm doing all of these things while this lowly guy is still having issues with these other things. And, and here he said, look, I don't, want, I don't want any of my own righteousness to be seen in me. It's not mine, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The righteousness that we have been given by God through Jesus Christ himself, it's, the, it's being able to, to stand in the very presence of God and, be, and to be justified, to be, be declared righteous by the very blood of Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness that we're talking about. And he says, and here, I'm definitely qualified. I'm Paul. I'm the one that, I'm writing you these things. And I could have, I was a Pharisee. I was zealous and, and killing those who didn't believe as I did and, and thought that I was doing it all for the, the, the church and doing it all for God. And, and I give up all of those things that I was doing so that by faith I can see and, and understand the righteousness of God. And then what a powerful statement he makes in verse 10 there in Philippians 3, that I may know him. You never get to know truly who God is if you think that you are going to work your way to heaven. You're, all you're going to do is live your entire life thinking that God is some ogre that is sitting up there waiting for you to make a mistake and every night you go to bed scared, every morning you wake up in doubt and you live your entire life bound by this that there is no freedom and, and you're thinking that, man, if I just do one more thing and I just do one more thing and, and it's going to be okay and you'll never know who God is. But by righteousness, by faith in Him, then we start the relationship that he wants us to have. But that relationship always starts, same spot for everybody, a place of humility where you bow your heart and you trust Christ as your Savior. And you come to him and look to him for salvation, forgiveness of your sins, and then you start getting to know him. And then not only do you know him, but in that knowledge you start understanding the power of his resurrection. 
You think of the very power that raised him from the dead. I mean, here he is. He is the only one that has ever had the power to raise himself from the dead. Now, Lazarus was raised from the dead by God. Jesus, who is God. We we know that the, the little maiden was raised from the dead by Jesus, who is God. Who's going to walk into that tomb and raise Jesus? Nobody but he himself. And he raises from the dead to show that he had power over death and that his words are true. And it's that very power that Paul is saying, I want to know that power. I want to know about God. I want to know about this relationship that he tells me that I'm entering in whenever I trust him as my Savior. That I want to know the very power that, that, that he rose from the dead. I want to experience it in my life where I can say no to those things in my life that are binding me up. I want him to show me that he can get rid of the anxiety that I have. That he can get rid of the, the, the habits that I have. That he can get rid of the addictions that have so wreaked our lives and, and, and my life or your family or whoever it is, and he can get rid of all of those things through his power of the resurrection. You never know that by thinking that you're going to work and work and work in order to get salvation. It never works that way. The fellowship of his sufferings. He was unjustly killed on the cross. And he was driven to that cross by love. Loving someone that truly didn't deserve it. There are people that, I I, I don't know if you've been watching this or not, but there's a group on on social media, and I I forgot the name of it, but... uh, they follow the, the, uh, the murders of Christians throughout the country, throughout the entire world. I mean, it's astounding to you, it's astounding to me, and I can't remember the number, of just how many Christians have been murdered this year, this year alone, that we know about, that we know about. China aren't going to tell you everybody that they're killing. North Korea is not going to tell you everyone that they're killing. Saudi Arabia is not going to tell you everyone that they are killing. But people are dying every day for their faith. And we see how we need to understand, and why? Why would somebody want to kill you when you come to them and say, Jesus loves you, and he wants to forgive you of your sins? and give you eternal life, and be able to to let you live this life with a joy and a peace that only God can give, where you can love that one that hates you, where that you you, you can help those that hurt you, and they still want to destroy you. Well, we know Satan is full of that, but we can have the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. God, give us that. Give us the faith to trust you, to live for you, 
to do whatever it is that you want to do in my life. And I'm going to live for you, and I'm going to have all of my faith in you, not only for salvation, but for my life, I am just going to live for you because of the love that you have shown me. You know, it's kind of like the illustration. It's the illustration this, this lady married this gentleman, and I wouldn't call him a gentleman, but he is very controlling. And as a matter of fact, he would give her a list of his expectations, even to the point of when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and what you do throughout the day. And so she, she lived that way. And she would check off the list every day in order to try to make her husband happy. number of years went that way, and then her husband died. And it was thereafter that she remarried. And she married a man that was just the polar opposite. Loved her. I mean, showed her love, showed her grace, showed her forgiveness and long-suffering. And one day, after she'd been married for a number of years, she was sorting through the, the, her dresser drawers, and she found the list that her first husband had given her. And she looked at it. And you know what she realized? I'm doing all this list that that man had given me that I'd been married to first, and he was such an ogre, and had no love for me. But now with this man that loves me, I'm doing all of these things, not because I had a list, but because of the love that I have in my heart. I mean, think about it. Think about what the law does. And think about what a relationship with Christ truly is. It doesn't mean that we go free willy-nilly and, and live like the world and, and, and then come back to him relying upon his grace, but it's that we live for him because we love him because of who he is, not because of the demands. And you know what we find as we live for him? We become more conformable to his image. You'll never be in his image by thinking that you have to work your way there. And so here we see that the Galatians' submission wasn't at all to the love of God, wasn't to the gospel of Christ at all. It, it was to the law. That's it. I mean, think about it. We, we, have, we have a number of, of people that we associate with, some are here today, that are part of law enforcement, right? I, I have to ask you guys that are in law enforcement, does the law have grace? No. The law doesn't have grace. It's the one who enforces it. The law is stated. Don't do this or you get a fine. Now, thankfully, Sometimes when they walk up to your car and you give them the puppy eyes, you give them the, the distress signal or whatever it is, and they say, all right, you know what? We'll, we'll let you go. Well, he's shown grace, but the law is the law. You broke it. You broke the law. That's the way it is. There is no grace with law whatsoever. You either live by it or you die by it, Right? Because this is what he says, for I testify again, well, he says, behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, so this is the law, Christ shall profit you nothing. All right, so if you are going to, I don't know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm going to tell these guys that, hey, I'm going to abide by the law 100%. And they say, okay. And then today, I go speeding down my street 60 miles an hour, and Jordan's sitting down at the end. And with that little gun, you know, that tells you how fast you're going. And he walks up to me, and he says, now, wait a minute. You, you told me that you were going to abide by the law. Well, the law says that the speed limit here is, uh, I don't even, I don't know what it is. I try to sneak in. My truck's really loud, so I just kind of coast in so I don't wake all the neighbors. Or, and I still wake them up. But anyway, but he's going to look at me and say, you broke the law. It's over. And so you get the ticket. When you do that and, and you make the statement, I'm going to live by the law, then there is absolutely no grace. And Christ profiteth you nothing. He is of no value to you whatsoever. That's why I say it doesn't matter whatever the denomination, whatever the cult may be, if they believe that you're going to work your way to heaven, it really does not matter what they believe about Jesus. It doesn't matter that they might say, well, my faith has to be in Jesus, but my salvation is based on my works. They do not gel. They will not work. It's either one or the other. God is the one saying it. If you say that you're going to live by law, then you better live by every bit of it, and you better live by every bit of it from the day that you are born. Because if you break one law, you're guilty of all. James chapter 4, verse 2. Or James chapter 2, verse 10. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, so here we see the bondage, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You have to do it all. Go back to Romans chapter 3 and see what he told the Romans. You see, this was, this was prevalent all throughout the New Testament. We see Paul having to teach this over and over. Romans chapter 3, and here we, we will uh, start with verse 9. He says, what then? Are, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we approved both Jews and Gentiles. And we're Gentiles. I don't know of anyone here that's, that's a Jew. But here that we have proven that Jews are Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is not one person sitting in here that can say, that, that I have not sinned and that I am perfect. There is no one that can say that. And the Bible tells us this, and if you say that, you're a liar. Because God's word is true. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You may be moral. You may have values. You may be walking in this society and people look at you and have a respect for you, for who you are, but God is looking at you and all he sees is the darkness of sin that is in your life and that is in your heart and that has not been forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ because he's a perfect judge. They're all gone out of the way. They're together, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. 
The poison of asp is under their eyes, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That is what the law is for to show us that we are all guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I'm I'm a simple guy. And that's just about as simple as it gets. There is no way that you will be righteous in the eyes of God and in his standing by thinking that you can do the works. You can't do it. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I like that. I do. I, I, I like it in that it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter what you have. doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter how bad your mom and dad may have been. doesn't matter how bad your past is. We all have sinned. And we got a sin problem. And even after we're forgiven... We still have a problem with sin. But you know the difference in some of us? It's not our sin. We still battle sin every day. But mine are, mine are forgiven. Mine are forgiven. Not because of anything that I've done, but all because of what Christ has done. That's freedom. Do you understand? That's freedom. That's the liberty that Jesus Christ gives us and not living under that fear any longer. And he tells us this over and over. And so the Galatians have submitted to a law that has absolutely no grace whatsoever. They, they have been bound by a law that there is no compassion and there is no feeling. There is just the law. And, that, and here, if you are uh, 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 going to live this way, then you are a debtor to do the whole law. And now we see the false professors Look at, look at what he says here. Christ, and, and he said this in verse 2 also, he uses the pronoun you. Christ has become of no effect unto you. He doesn't include himself in this. You who want to live by the law, you who have allowed Christ to become of no effect. He is ineffective. He's powerless. You have abolished Who he is, whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen, you have failed, you have lost grace. You see what he keeps telling us over and over and over for salvation? It's one or the other. If you say, fine, I'm going to live by my works, then you must be perfect. 
And you know what the scriptures have said? You've been condemned because all of us sin and come short of the glory of God. You are in a hopeless situation. You know, I get myself in trouble with this because I know of two religions that mount up to about two billion people. And both of them will teach salvation by works. And those people that believe that will go to hell. And I know I get myself in trouble for saying that, but that is exactly what God's Word says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not by any works of righteousness which we have done. Zero. None of them. They do not get us to heaven. They are a product of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And then, yes, we do them out of love for Him. We live that way because that's what Christ wants us to do. It has absolutely nothing to do with our salvation. And then, look what he says in verses 5 and 6. We see the Galatians' faith. For we, now he uses the personal pronoun, we, we who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we who are free and living in liberty through the Spirit, by means of the Holy Spirit of God, wait eagerly for the hope and the certainty of righteousness by faith. The righteousness. Look, look what he says over in Romans chapter 5. Uh, and, and I already mentioned this, but I, I, I love this. Therefore, being justified by faith. You know what justified means? Declared righteous. Do you know something else about it? It's an aorist passive. I know you could care less. Aorist means a one-time action. You have been declared righteous, but it's also in a passive voice. I do not declare myself righteous. That's what somebody doing works would do. Hey, God, I'm perfect in all I've done. I declare myself to be righteous. Not at all. I am justified, declared righteous by someone else. And in the passage, I'm declared righteous by God through Christ, through what he has done. Oh, how good is that? How good is that? And it's never to change. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to be able to walk out of here and somebody say, if you were to die today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? Yes, sir. Yes, man. I have zero doubt because God tells me that when my faith is in him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I know it. And I rest in that. And I trust in what he tells me. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. 
you know, and, and I don't know how to explain this. I've tried to try to figure out how to define this because of what I started off with. The gentleman on the on the radio station teaching through the book of Galatians and trying to tell us that. And, and so what it ultimately came down to, the work that I'm telling you isn't the Mosaic law. The work that I'm telling you is you must be baptized to be saved. And so he took the word of God and distorted it and said it's not the works of the law, but it's this work of obedience that you must do in order to be saved. I don't know how to explain this, but what God just said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Whether it be the Jews who abide by the Mosaic law or whether it be the Gentiles who either abide by the Mosaic law or abide by any other law, it availeth nothing. It does not, it does not make anything of any value in your relationship with Christ. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter. Baptism is a work of obedience. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we ought to let the world know that we're a believer and we need to get baptized and, and let them know that has absolutely nothing to do with saving us. Our salvation is based on faith in what Christ has done. And so he teaches that, and I look at this and I think, it doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile, whatever the rules may be that some legalist has put up in order for you to be saved, it does not matter. But faith. But faith. You know what faith does? Faith proves, faith proves where it's at by what we do after that. And what does it prove? And what does it produce? But it produces love. It's a love that you cannot truly define other than a perfect God went to a cruel cross and died there in order to give me eternal life. That's the best that I can define it. But in doing so, he produces something in me that gives me a love for other people. Because that's what he does. He loved us. And if we're to be the believer that God wants us to be, and we are walking with the Spirit, walking in His power, walking according to His Word, it, can, it, it can't be explained, but God gives us a love for one another. In all of our flaws, in all of the bad decisions that we make, in all of our crazy personalities, in all of our different cultures, in all of our different colors of skin, he gives us a love for each other. It produces love. If you have zero love for anybody else other than yourself, I would dare say that you have truly never experienced the love of Christ because it changes you. It transforms you. And it gives you liberty. 
and gives you freedom. What a joy it is to know him and have that freedom. Do you know him? Do you know him? Look, you're not here by mistake today. You are here to hear exactly what God's word says, that he loves you, that he died for you, and that the sacrifice that he made is sufficient for all the world to call upon him and trust him. Let's live in that knowledge. Let's live in that freedom, knowing him as our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it produces in our own lives. And Father, I thank you for our Savior. Thank you that we don't have to rely upon ourselves. How fickle we truly are. How weak we are. How imperfect we are. How great as sinners we are. But you loved us anyway. And you love us anyway. And your love toward us has never been based on how much we do for you. But you are love. You are everything about love. You are the very definition. And I thank you. It's not warped by the world. It doesn't change by our behavior. But it's something that is always the same and has always been and will always be. And Father, I pray that everybody here, no matter how little a knowledge that we have of it, but that everyone here has experienced that love by coming to you humbly, seeking you out, asking you for forgiveness and a relief of the burden of their sin. And by faith, they trust in what you have done for them. And Lord, as we walk out of here today, that our hearts are full of your love. I pray your blessings. I pray you do a work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.